Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Story Show. What have you been working on? Mostly writing badly. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, anything else you want to say about that? No, not really. I am on a little bit of a hiatus kind of getting back into things. We're switching offices, office spaces with each other. So that's been its own kind of logistical challenge. And um, and then just relaunching the year, the classes and all of that. So not really in the groove of writing, mostly waiting, waiting to get notes. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to figure out, you know, should I be working on like, you know, when I was looking for an agent, I was working on the a novella and um or whatever it is a a short first draft and and I actually have edited it you know by hand so I could just go back and respond to myself I looked at it and I thought oh someone did a good job editing this (laughs) nice anyway um all right so that's it we're not we're not working too hard (laughs) oh you're writing badly though so let's go let's go right into that experiment so last episode to recap we were talking about this assignment which you had had you know back in the cave bear times and i was also given in something a couple of years ago which which is to try to write badly and what do we learn from trying to write badly and for me when I did it it was incredibly freeing and over time I realized in many ways good and bad are the wrong kind of litmus test certainly while you're drafting and also that you can always write badly so for me it was incredibly freeing you were skeptical about this you felt as though Trying to write badly would make you take on the identity of being a bad writer. Yes, I had the assumption that it would take on, you'd take on the identity of being a bad writer. And I also, I think in the process of doing this, um, have come to think that any judgment is really a problem. So for you, you might think it freeing. I'm going to do, I'm going to attempt to do this badly. But if you're a true perfectionist, it's not enough to do it badly. You have to do it terribly well okay so I think what happened for me is in trying to write badly I realized that trying to write badly and trying to write well produced maybe not radically different things and that it then freed me from judgment to some extent from the good or the bad and and so I so I think when I now do writing especially kind of early morning writing I'm not trying to do it badly but I'm also not trying to do it well so we agree that the judgment part actually isn't, you know, you may need that <clears throat> as an, a momentary way to break free of some rigidity. Mm-hmm. And I think um, some of what I was concerned about for me, and again, I think other people would have a different response, was accurate. So I think my assumption was happened. accurate. Let's so, talk what happened. So, so I wrote... <clears throat> badly badly and it takes a lot of work to write badly it you know if you're gonna write badly well then you need to do it (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) so because Hmm. the thing is you did it wrong (laughs) that's the important part no the idea is like okay if you're gonna write badly what does that mean and I guess we didn't like 100% define our terms prior prior to starting but for me Writing badly meant, what are the things I know about writing that are, make it, um, 
not enjoyable for me to read. And so sometimes it's those very, like a lot of cliches. It's a lot of nothing really happening. There's a lot of, um, you know, so, so when I didn't have that, when it was just merely mediocre, like that wasn't my idea of writing badly. So. Oh my goodness. Wow. Not goodness. Well, this is so interesting that, that you, that, that writing badly became something you could fail at. Right. It's fascinating. So I, I became for me the third dimension of failure. So not writing well was the first dimension. Not writing at all, I guess, is actually the first dimension. Writing, not writing well is the second dimension. And the third dimension is not writing badly. So <laughs> um, I have a full 360 now about <laughs> the kinds crazy. of ways I can fail. Okay, here's what I want to ask you. One thing I want to ask you, because mm-hmm. when you first did it, and it was sort of like, oh, gosh, I have to do my five minutes of writing badly. And you set out to do it. And I just thought, you're getting to write. And I had this kind of flush of the pleasure. Once you get through resistance, once I get through resistance, when I, and I go to writing, and that is sitting down to write. And not just, you know, I do lots of morning pages, but right now I'm, I'm really actually even resisting morning pages because I'm, I get very logistical in my morning pages. It's actually great. It helps me think clearly. It helps me lay things out. But what I really love the most is when I have a scene to write or I'm writing something new. And so I'm going in my sort of dream state to the page and writing and and just connecting to writing, but also even just whenever you do it, like going to the page, there is a real pleasure in it. Absolutely. And I was like, oh, you get to be doing that. So I almost wonder if what you want to do now is, is do five minutes a day, but it doesn't have to be bad. Well, I think there are a couple of things and, and, um, yeah, I think, again, going back to that notion that there isn't any judgment is whether it's good or whether it's bad is going to undermine your sense of success. Success. Is it any target, though? I mean, you know, let's say you're trying to write a scene or you're trying to write. I mean, it's what how well, there's how what, what what how can we conclude what one ought to do? In a, you know what I mean? Well, what one ought to do is experiment for themselves, <laughs> right? Uh, my experience is not going to be the same as other people. And for me, yes, it, it was fun. Honestly, after day two, I had sort of like that existential crisis. And so I was like, I don't, I, I did not feel good in this exercise. Mm-hmm. Which it, you suspect. Yes. And it felt stressful. It felt depressing. Um, and so... In all fairness, after day two, I sort of shifted. But, but before we go to that shift, and I want to get there, and I know our listeners are gripped Dying. by suspense, but um, when you first did it, the first day you did it, and you're, I was like, how'd it go? And you were like, it was awful. And and what I find a lot of people when they do it, they find, oh, this isn't as bad as I thought it would be, or oh, there was something interesting in here, or oh, I can edit this into something, you know, whatever, or the, you know, it just... Oh, I got to I got to start writing, and I dropped the the wall of expectation. And you were like, "No, this was terrible. It was awful." And I and I, but then I said to you, "That's how you feel when you're writing something that I will subsequently find brilliant." Like you were, you're writing. How is your writing session? And you always feel like it was terrible. You always feel that way, mm-hmm. even whether you're trying to write well, badly, or indifferently. Right. Well. 
what did end up happening was, you know, and here's the thing. So, like, if I were to redesign the experiment, one, I think that actually holds my interest a little bit differently than here is the goal to write every day. Because that is... Mm -hmm. Not that interesting on, on, on a behavior level, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody seeks novelty. Everybody seeks different things. I seek a lot more novelty than other people. So adding something to the process that's like, here's an experiment. And, and I and actually, that's how great writing gets done anyway, right? So the experiment doesn't have to be about your workflow. The experiment can be about, about the project. Mm-hmm. I am exploring this idea. What is the experiment that your work is? Because every work is sort of an experiment. And if you go into writing your novel as though it were an experiment and you're just curious, can I write a, in my case right now, can I write a screenplay that has no more than four people and happens in a single location that I find interesting to follow all the way through? Mm -hmm. So that's an experiment, right? What would need to be true? What would these what, are constraints, really? Right. So let me ask you: How did you shift the the uh, experiment? I just stopped trying to write badly, and then last, what did you do? I just was like, I. I mean, it's so funny if you look at what I actually wrote. Um, one, and this was the other thing: I didn't do a one single piece. It wasn't five days of five mm-hmm. minutes of writing on a single no, piece, right. and it didn't need to be right. So on day. Three, I just went to this other place about um, about writing a scene that just was about voice. And I was sort of interested in voice. And so I was playing with uh, this character and, and voice and just, you know, I, I had five minutes of being in this one place. And there was nothing bad about it. There's nothing particularly the good or bad about it. It just is um there's some things that are fun and there's some things that are painful to read and you know that sort of thing and then the next day I just I played a rhythm game I just was you know sort of rhyming sort of rhythm not quite a poem but like playing playing with these sentences and this in the sounds of the sentences and the rhythms and um and that was fun so I was no longer trying to do this badly I wasn't searching for the just the right cliche to push it into truly bad. I was just enjoying the play. And uh, this morning I wrapped up day five of this particular experiment. And for me, uh, as I, I used it as an opportunity to kind of reflect on, on the process of writing badly. And, you know, again, it then led me to curiosity about cliche. How many cliches are actually similes and metaphors? And mm. like, why do certain you know, language types become cliche. Become so popular. Well, I was just curious, and it may not be true, but if you think about the kinds of things that are cliche, they're often metaphors and similes. And so what is it about that structure, Mm. that comparison process where, you know... um, mistress eyes are nothing like the sun right so what is it in that comparison process that that makes us want to be repetitive and fail to find something more interesting to say well and maybe become the grooves of how we see the world mm-hmm. you know the the eyes as windows and the glassy and i mean all the that sort of metaphor that's become it's hard to s- think of some other one you know absolutely 
So um, camera to do it really well then would be uh, to you know seek to create your own cliche. Because the other thing is you can go you can step outside of the cliche, but if you step outside of something that is logically you know that logical or act not logical in some computerized way but something that makes emotional my love's sense. eyes are two refrigerators <laughs> right like if you leap off i mean there's that whole thing about surrealism that it's not about putting something like random in a bird cage it's like maybe putting an egg in a bird cage right that, that you're that you're speaking to something within realism when you're surreying it sounds good yeah all right. Well, so that, you know, so that was our bad writing badly experiment. And I guess one of the things I would say is I've never had someone or had myself try to do it repeatedly. Mm-hmm. But the truth is that it was a breakthrough moment to try to write badly. And what it and it was a permission giving moment for me. And so now when I try to write something, I'm trying to write this scene, I'm trying to write this, you know, my way into this or write this dialogue or whatever. I'm just not as worried about is it good or bad. Right. And that's moving away from the judgment. But it's absolutely a tool to find a way to break through block. Right. So it's reversing the expectation. So if you were to do it in a moment where you find yourself so completely paralyzed by your internal perfectionism, taking the time to try to to write it badly actually... um, can I think dislodge some of that yeah but mostly it's that if you're thinking about whether it's good or thinking about whether it's bad you are distracting yourself Mm -hmm. I mean Annie Dillard says the thing about you know the question sort of the idea that the work is fabulous and the idea that the work is terrible are mosquitoes to be swatted away exactly and that I think is the key thing is that you know, there will be a voice and it's, you know, Stephen Pressfield calls it, calls it resistance. Some people try to call it I the think, editor, but there will be something that says this isn't working. This isn't I'm scared. This don't do this. And I think the less you write, the stronger those voices are. Right. I think it's very difficult to get to the place of mosquitoes to be swatted away when you haven't done much. Right. And then... You know, it's like meditation. Like, it's really hard. Like, you know, the judgment. Oh, my God, my mind wanders. I do all that. Well, that's actually part of it. And right. it's the practice, not the product. Right. It's it's being willing to sit with what is. And it's it's uncomfortable. You've been using that word in teaching a lot. Like, the mm. discomfort of yeah. sitting with what is, what with what you're producing on the page or with what you're sitting. If you're meditating, you're sitting there meditating. And it can be really like cramp. Uncomf- yeah, you're like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. That's okay, but right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what I what that's what I have to remind myself. And when I don't meditate, when I resist, it's because I don't want to sit there with myself being in the present. You know, I have a huge resistance to that. Yeah, yeah. So I think with one of the things though, and I'd been talking about wanting to sort of relaunch my other website. So I think that I might actually write about this as sort of a kickoff blog for that website and continue Public, not perfect Do you I, haven't, have... I haven't launched it yet so oh. thanks um <laughs> you're supposed to be public <laughs> well i just haven't put anything up there yet okay. so if you went to that website what you would find is nothing but so, you have a week 
between the release of this. Okay, great. And so I think that what I want to do is use this as an opportunity to think about experiments and then to continue on. And I would encourage anybody listening out there, if you want to reach out to us about experiments that you're curious about, experiments that you do for yourself or movements that happen, like drop us a line, let us know what you're thinking about judgment and what's our address questions at storymakershow.com all right so now it's time for steal this professional poets no amateur poets borrow professional poets steal how what have you come across in your readings and wanderings that you'd like to take and make your own well, I finished uh, listening to Atomic Habits this morning as I was walking the dog. And, you know, for the habit making, he's got these sort of four pillars that you do when you're wanting to create it. And it's to acknowledge the sort of discomfort, actually, of habit generation. So, and I'm trying to remember off the top of my head what it is right now. I might need to pull it up. Um, it is make it... Uh, well, you start and I'm going to pull it up because <laughs> I have two of them, but it's not going to be. All right. Well, I just finished reading um, Noah Hawley's Before the Fall, and it it was quite a compulsive read for me. And I've been thinking about why, what made it so compulsive. And it's it's an interesting structure because... Um, it follows, and there, I just read another book that had this structure. Oh, in a way, the most dangerous place on earth, because it has the main character whom it follows through the book. And then it ha it visits, it drops in on other key characters. There's a plane accident mm -hmm. in the beginning of the book. And so it goes to sort of everybody else who was on the plane and different, and some other sort of key characters. And so it kind of, and it's very, I think it's very like television. And of course, Noah Hawley does, does Fargo. And I mean, he is a television writer, a screenwriter, and a novelist. So when you say that, what do you mean? So one is that that kind of multiple point of view, right? Where you just, you will, you, you suddenly are, you know, zoom in on somebody. And because it's kind of what's, it's sort of propulsively there on the screen in front of you, you are sucked into it. And that's, it's sort of this immediate world creation that's internal, psychological, and external, and it has a sweeping sense of the character's history, but we're in the present moment with them. Now, of course, with all these characters, we know, almost all of them, we know we're, are going to die. So that, I suppose, gives a certain kind of suspense, or, you know, and you're trying to figure out how, what, what, how, who they were contributed to what happened in the accident, and all of and that. Is that like a limiting belief who they were or what do you mean? No, like why did the plane crash? Was it because this person was doing something illegal and somebody was was targeting them? Was it because, you know, what were the what were the factors that caused the plane to crash? And 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 do they come out of the lives of any of these people who died in the plane crash? So you're blaming the victims? It's a mystery. You're trying to figure out what happened. You're trying okay. to figure out if somebody deliberately caused the plane to crash, and if so, why? Why would they want someone dead? 
So when okay. you do a murder mystery, you're like, why do they want this person dead? That's not blaming the dead person. It's the it's pretty standard. No, no, no. I mystery. just thought for I thought for a second what you were saying. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, it's they, there is a question of did any of them have any collusion? You know, mm-hmm. here. Um. Anyway, I don't know. Like, I I didn't love the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of couldn't put the book down all the way through. And um, there were things I sort of thought and knew and they were right. But there were other things I thought and knew that weren't right. So anyway, I don't exactly know what I want to steal from it at this point. But um, but I'm intrigued. I don't I also don't know why it was so propulsive to me. Why? I mean, the the, the initial scene is, you know, the initial kind of the opening is, is clearly propulsive because it's got you know, this crazy rescue thing and stuff. But, um, but after that, it's just, you know, it's characters. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to keep thinking about it. I feel like this is often the case with steal this. I either, sometimes I'm like, Oh, I want to take that thing and I want to steal it. But right now I'm also just like kind of drinking in all these, all these books and trying to, um, and then I have to sit back and go, okay, what made me, um, you know, right. What, what made me unable to put this down? All right, I, I was not able to pull this up on your phone, so you're making me babble on like that. I didn't make you babble on. I listened attentively, but the the four pillars are basically like make it um easy, make it you know small, make it enjoyable. Or make it satisfying. So something like that. Or, I'll have, these are ors, not ands. You don't have to do it all for everything. It's just that, you know, you will run into those moments when you don't want to do something. And my experiment this week is going to be when I'm running into the habit thing that I don't want to do, I'm going to, I want to print out one of those little, a list of those pillars. And... It's going to be my little cheat sheet. So when I notice resistance, I can look at those four things and think, okay, how can I, how can I do that right now? Okay. How can I make it small? Make it small, make it enjoyable, make it satisfying, make it something else, whatever the fourth pillar was. <laughs> the author of Atomic Habits is uh, James Clear. So jamesclear.com. People can look that up. Yes. And, um... Let's see. I, let's see. There's, oh, there's, well, there's, this is like something else. I think this is four strategic pillars popularized by Gretchen Rubin, monitoring accountability, scheduling, and foundation. That's not it. That is not a different it. system. So one of the things I noticed about you is that you just like to try a system and you're not necessarily going to like then do that forever. But what's interesting about his book is that he talks about why that is, right? He, this is, I think, one of the first habits books that I've ever seen that addresses boredom. Mm. and that's a thing I mean for me for someone with my kind of brain boredom is a real thing and there's that piece of that emotionally um we want to control how we feel right so what we do is we don't do the habit or we do the bad habit to control how we feel and if we maybe can find a way to sort of acknowledge we want to feel differently and where is the list of options so that we're doing the good habit right Mm -hmm. and you know he's basically saying to to break a bad habit you want to make it hard you want to make it unsatisfying you want to make it you know so so that you actually take those things and reverse them wow 
So I, that's what I'm stealing this week. And that's also my experiment. Do you, are you taking up a new experiment? Are you declaring to the public? Um, <clears throat> I mean, just only because that was, that's an interesting coat rack, right? Right. So, yes, perhaps my experiment will be to continue writing uh, for five minutes a day and to use, I'm going to make my little mabob that I'll carry with me of those four pillars. And when mm. I, when I, and you know haven't done it and don't want to do it i'll be able to pull that out when i'm facing resistance and just say um how can i do one of these things for this habit right i mean you have a nomadic mind and so in a way it makes sense that you're going to need different strategies depending on where in the landscape you are i do have a nomadic mind in fact it's gone right now (laughs) It wandered off. Where did it wandered off. It's setting up camp up ahead somewhere. All right. Well, I feel like this was a bit of an unfocused episode. But Do you? I feel no, like it was really, really focused. Maybe too focused. But anyway, it was. Well, my nomadic mind thought it was super focused, and your <laughs> focused mind didn't agree. Um, but what I, I want to make a couple of quick announcements. One is that um, Sonoma County Writers Camp is going to be opening enrollment. We have a session in April and a, end of April and a session in August. So if you're interested, go to SonomaCountyWritersCamp.com, get on our mailing list because we're setting that out um, in a week or so, and um, check out all the options. It's been just so exciting. We've now had two different people connect with agents because of Sonoma County Writers Camp and and get signed. And um, so that's just fun. We have, and you know, three of our uh, alums are Where publishing. Where do they go? Where do they go to? SonomaCountyWritersCamp.com. I did say that already. I know. While you were nomading. I wasn't nomading. Okay. And, um, and three of our alums are publishing, including Devi Laskar, who will be at Books Inc. in Mountain View on February 5th, and we will be there. So we would love to, you know, come up and meet us. And, or maybe you already know us, but come say hi. <laughs> come party with us. We would like to meet us, is what you said. We would like to meet you. No. Yeah. Oh. We would like, we would like to meet somebody. Yes. Yeah. And come celebrate Debbie's beautiful n- new work. Yes. All right. Well, with that, right, your, your tushies, tushies off. off. <laughs>